Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com, your one-stop shop for self-growth. Go there for workshops, classes, live classes, on-demand classes, certifications, retreats, whatever it is you are looking for, we have it. Come join us. And now for only $49.99 a month, you have unlimited access to all classes live and the entire on-demand schedule. So you can make it work for you. So if you are looking for a chance to deepen your practice, show up every day, or even just a couple times a week, this is the membership for you. We cannot wait to see you in class. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up. Welcome. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, the founder of Den Meditation and your host. I have Patrice Washington on today and I love her. I love her so much. I love this conversation. And we are so lucky to have someone who's so willing to just put herself out there and share and help other people grow in their own wealth. So this is an episode which I love because she wrote this amazing book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself. And It's fantastic because unlike other books, I think you can pull off the shelves about how to get your finances in order or how to make money. This one is all about how to get yourself in order so that you can make money and how wealth is not just about money. It's also about making yourself happy and feel good. And what's brilliant about her and this is also her life story. She has been through it, guys. I don't want to reveal too much because we get into it right at the top of the episode, but she has been through it. I promise you, through a lot. And it is so impressive how she just navigates her way through, around, and above through everything and does it gracefully, beautifully, and carries along so much wisdom with it that we are lucky enough to get on the other end. So through her hardships and through her growth and through her incredible success, we get this incredible amount of wisdom that she shares with us today and in the book. And she's incredible. And it's just a really fun conversation because she is an amazing person to speak with. So thank you, Patrice. And thank you everyone for listening and let us know what you think. I'm so glad to talk to you. Where are you right now? I'm in Atlanta. So you are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How's the weather? It's beautiful. It's been warm the last couple of days. It's been nice. Not too warm. (laughs) Which is good because it gets so hot there. Yeah. Just, just good enough. It's going to be crazy soon. I'm sure. I know. I shot something there in the middle of the summer once and it was so twice actually once was during pilot season. So it was like in the middle of like June or July and then once but at least that was inside. But yeah, oh my God. I was like, it is so hot here. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I don't I'm not outside much uh once the summer hits or I'm traveling anyway. Yeah, you travel a lot, right? Well, you know, considering <laughs> considering recent oh. events. Not not as much, but I am actually picking uh up picking again. back up. Yeah. Next week actually starts about three months of nonstop travel. Wow. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. Same here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, of course. And let's let's jump right in because I really, really enjoyed your book, How to Redefine oh, wow. Your Wealth. Thank yes, you. because it's it's very different, I feel like, than most books written probably about how like to make money for yourself or become an entrepreneur. What I loved about this, which is why we were having you on here, is you know, first of all, you have pillars. It's very clear. You're like these are the pillars of things you need to work on. And it's six. And the last one is actually about the money. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but I think it's really important. I, and we'll talk about that, that 
your whole thing is like, you got to get your shit together, you know, really figure you out and kind of declutter your life, declutter you, you know, get clear on who you are, get confident on who you are. I mean, and we'll go through all of this because there's so many beautiful points that I know are helpful for everybody, no matter mm-hmm. what it is you're trying to do that it's like, and only then after all that, can you really start kind of processing what it means for you to be wealthy and like how to actually tangibly work with money? Yeah. Yeah. Because if not, I mean, I think all of those things are a barrier and a distraction for people. And that's why they don't do the things they already know to do. It's not that you haven't heard it, (laughs) like you've heard it, but your mind, your life, your relationships are so cluttered that you can't see how simple it is to do those things. So I make people focus on all the other stuff. And the byproduct usually is people are like, oh my gosh, I got this raise out of the blue. Oh my gosh. Those are the stories in my group all the time. Oh my gosh, I can't, I just landed this thing. And I'm like, yeah, you've been on your people pillar though. You've been creating relationships. So, and not trying to use people, but genuinely creating relationships. So yeah, they were an advocate for you when you weren't in the room. Look at that. And that resulted in more money. It's so funny because, I mean, look, you clearly have a natural um, ability of understanding how to work a with people and how to kind of maneuver yourself through life. I mean, granted, and you talk about it right off the bat in this book, and you're very vocal about it. You had, you know, in 2008, which was brutal for everyone, um, you you had built kind of this amazing empire and yeah. lost it all, like along with many other people. And, but once again, you found your way, but you did it differently, which is what we'll talk about. But you, you clearly, like, if you look back in your childhood, were you always someone who just always kind of had a knack of like figuring problems out or getting to the finish line or just making things happen? Yeah, I think I was forced to though, because I didn't have that type of, you know, great familial support, if you will, you know, I applied to college on my own. I filled in everything and forged my mom's signature, you know? Amazing. I I took the bus. I was telling someone this recently. I actually took the public bus to an H&R block to file my mom's taxes for me to fill out my FAFSA to go to school because my mom hadn't filed taxes in a couple of years. Like I was, I had to do those things and it, you know, Looking back, you know, now that I have a 13-year-old daughter, I'm like, I couldn't imagine Reagan trying to navigate and figure all these things out because I'm such a present parent, you know? And it's no shade to my parents, but she wouldn't even know where to start, even though she's a very mature and well-equipped young woman. She wouldn't think that she would have to do those things. Those things are just things that mom would be like, oh, here's the paperwork or like, okay, we're doing this together, not her having to do everything on her own. So, you know. Was education important in your family? To a degree. Um, My father stressed. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, yeah. My father stressed grades, but that was more for his appearances. It wasn't really because it mattered where we went to school or if we went to school type of thing. Uh, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and not the best neighborhood. And I just knew that I had to get out. So teachers at school would say, you know, college was the way and all that stuff. And I just third grade, I was like, oh, I'm going to USC. It was the first college campus I ever laid eyes on. And I was like, oh, I'm going here for college. And that and I did. 
<laughs> but it, that's what I'm saying. You have this incredible knack of like seeing forward and mm-hmm. being able to kind of pave that way because I'm sure, I mean, you know, you, you, I'm sure you look around at a lot of your friends in South Central and a lot of them probably didn't get out. True. Um, and, Very they, true. and Right. And they were hearing the same things from the teacher um, and probably had similar familial environments, but there was something in you that really, I don't know. And that's what I'm trying. Cause it's like, even in reading this book, I'm like, wow, you had like in 2008 when it all fell apart and you've also tell me when you had, when you lost your son, was I lost that, my son in 2006. Oh God. I mean, so you, it was like back to back to back. It was back to back. I literally had my children um, just about a year apart. My daughter, I went into labor with my daughter the day my son was born the year before. Oh my God. My whole body just mm-hmm. gave me the chills. Yeah. So just so people know who are listening, um, she, her, her son, you went into labor at what, 24 weeks, 26 weeks? Yeah, 24 weeks. Um, and he passed after five hours in my arms. And then I got pregnant again and ended up in the hospital on bed rest. I took a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks pregnant and it sent me into preterm labor. So by the time I got to the emergency room, they said, ma'am, I'm sorry, this baby's coming any minute now. And I was in the same hospital as the year before where I lost my son. And so I did the only thing I could do in the moment, which was pray. And I was like, you know, well, what can we do? And they said, well, the longer she stays in there, the better, but you're in labor. Um, And after a day and or so in that area of the hospital, basically in the emergency room, they were like, um, we're going to go ahead and admit you <laughs> like, like fully. And they took me to the maternity ward, the labor and delivery side. And um, first, and then I ended up in this on this floor where, you know, all the women who were on bed rest, I was on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks total. And that was when the recession really started to kind of reared its ugly head. So I'm in the hospital on bed rest watching the news as they're talking about all of the banks that I work with closing down day after day. And at that time I had by then 16 loan officers and real estate agents who worked on my team and they were calling every day, freaking out. My deal is falling apart. You know, such and such bank just pulled the file. They closed down, you know, everybody's gone my client's going to be sued for this deposit and all like all the things. And I'm in the hospital freaking out, obviously. Like I, and I was used to being the fixer, the one, you know, the one who could make a call and pull it all together. And I'm genuine, generally a, a calm person. I don't really get excited about like super excited about much. So I was like, you seem I'm very sitting- even. Yeah. Like even when all hell is breaking loose, I'm like the one person who's like, okay, so how are we going to fix this? Like, what are we going to do? So I'm in the hospital on bed rest and everyone's calling me freaking out. And I wasn't showing signs of freaking out, but my body knew I was freaking out. My mind knew I was freaking out. Right. My doctor comes in. This is about five weeks into my hospital stay. And um, my doctor comes in and she says, Patrice, if you don't stop, stressing out you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby because this is the same doctor same hospital same floor that I gave birth to my son she's like if you don't stop stressing out you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby and I know that's not what you want so I don't know what's got you stressed out but we're monitoring you're stressing out you're stressing Reagan out 
And I said, okay, all right. And I made a decision. I made a decision to surrender. I was like, I'm not going to allow anyone to call me anymore. So pretty much left my phone off and only my close family and my really good, good girlfriends had the, the hospital number. Um, I gave my husband my laptop and he brought me a journal, a red leather journal. I still have to this day uh, in my storage room, a red leather journal and an iPod with praise and worship uh, music, like gospel music on it. And then I asked the maintenance people to take the TV off the wall. Wow. So I wouldn't even be tempted. Mm -hmm. They came in with a little stepladder, two guys, and they uh, little box TV on the swivel thing. And they took they took it off the wall for me. And it's so funny because it's a hospital. I'm sure they're like, we've never gotten this Because <laughs> normally it's like, please get please, whatever right. you can have. Yeah. And that's what I did for the next five weeks. I, I wrote songs to my daughter. I sang praise and worship music. I, you know, read my Bible. I read inspirational books. Occasionally someone might bring me a magazine or something. Um, but that was it. That's all I did for the next five weeks and tried to stay focused on happy thoughts and, and visualizing my daughter at different stages and ages. She just did an episode with me on my podcast. And one of the things that I actually told her was she is exactly everything that I prayed for and wrote in that journal, literally at different stages, just how she's matured and her wit and her intelligence and Um, what she looks like. Everything is, yeah, is, is exactly spot on to what I wrote. So that was a that was a big decision to just be like, no, I'm still that way to this day with blocking out things that just don't. And some people call it being in denial. <laughs> I heard that some people will say, like, how do you not watch the news all day? I'm like, because mm, it doesn't really support my spirit. I'm not ignorant. I, I know if there's something major going on in the world and I'll go look for the pieces of information, the what, where, why, how, when, yep. you know, that I want to consume, but I'm not going to like watch the news all day. It's it's a difference when you do. You feel it. You feel it. I feel it immediately. I feel it. I, I just feel it immediately. I just, you know, during the last summer with all the social justice uprise, like all of that stuff was so heavy. Mm-hmm. And I just, I felt so much of it. I was, I was sad daily. And like, just I'm like, oh, because you're watching the news all day, every day and having conversations with everyone about this thing. I'm like, no. Right. And, you know, because I mean, you talk a lot about it in the book, too, about using mantra and ways to kind of change prior beliefs, which we can get into also that it is energy. So Mm -hmm. same idea. If you're going to watch the news and feel in that sadness all day, that's what you're going to start producing. Yeah, because we get to choose. Like we have a choice in what we consume, right? And what we allow in our spirits, in our eyes, in our ears. Like I have a choice. Why would I choose death and destruction on a daily basis while I'm trying to live my best possible life? Yeah. I'm not going to choose things that don't feed that. I I want to live the best possible life. I want to operate in my gifts and my purpose daily and just do good work and leave the world better than I found it, right? That's it. All this other stuff that, you know, feeds chaos and darkness. Like for what? I have a choice. We can we can say, take the TV off the wall. Like we can choose the channel. We can, you know, watch something else. I even tell my husband, 
he watches like a lot of movies, like gangster movies, right? Then he comes in the bed. I, I don't let him watch him in the bedroom. So right. he's like on his deck or, you know, in the guest room or wherever in the den. And he comes in, he's having dreams at night. He's like fighting people in his sleep, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to shake him like, hey, you're dreaming. What are you dreaming about? He's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have watched that movie. I'm like, yeah, I keep telling you that. Now you're fighting people in your sleep. So. That's so funny. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> he, I get it though. I know my husband likes to watch a lot. I mean, I like TV too, but mm-hmm. it's, um, it's funny because you also talk about like your music. You guys have music playing all the time. So it's interesting you bring it up that that was important for you too on your bed rest when you got rid of the TV. But I love how you said, was it Tupac and Biggie? You're like, I used to listen to them. And then I realized <laughs> while I it was trying to- It makes me aggressive. <laughs> right. You're like, well, I'm trying, was it like you were trying to study for exams or something? You're like, yeah, that might not be the best combination. Of right. <laughs> now I'm like writing papers, typing the lyrics. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this has nothing to do with what I should be writing about. <laughs> so like backspace delete. But yeah, I usually have um, some type of instrumental music on really. Just, I, I do believe in, you know, setting the move for your environment. So the stuff that I talk about is like, is your life set up to support you? Mm -hmm. So we all say that we have these things that we want to do, a vision um, that we have for our lives, some career we may want to start, any number of things, right? But is your environment set up to support you in that? And, you know, I think music plays a big part in in the environment, right? When you're cleaning up, you want to like, Spruit, you know, you want to pick it up, or you know, depending on what you're going through. I used to clean up, right? I used to clean up to like soul music, you know, (laughs) like you know, back in the day for sure. But you know, the scent and the colors we choose, and how we just, you know, set our space. Like, I love your decor behind you. I feel like it's so peaceful and zen in that in that room. And I I have a space like that upstairs. I have a prayer room off my um master bedroom closet that is like my place to just I'm in my closet. So you're not far off. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. And I, I just think that we don't pay enough attention to how even the mood, the vibe of our environment impacts how we move throughout our, our life. Well, I think it all goes back to, I mean, it brings you right back to sitting in that bed and being told like you were stressing out the child. It's like, the vibrations all affect you. So the TV, the news, what you're going through, the bad news that, or the response. I mean, you were, I'm curious to know kind of what happened with your company in that moment, but we'll get to that in a second. It's all of that, the music, like that vibration, the frequency of the music, as amazing as it could be, may be the wrong frequency for what you're trying to get done. And like you said, I love how you said that the colors, the smell, it all shifts, you know, your vibration, which is what you put out, mm-hmm. what you create mm-hmm. or what you're doing or how you do it. Yeah, for sure. And you you asked about the what happened to my business at that time, girl, everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> like uh, Because I'm thinking about being like a business owner and I'm impressed and I'm so proud of you without even really knowing you because you did make a really important choice. But mm-hmm. I know, and I'm guessing for you, because- from reading your book and and getting a sense of like, you're really good with people and taking Mm -hmm. care of people and making sure, you know, that as a boss, that must've been really hard during that time to shut it off because you know that it wasn't just you getting affected. It was other people. Oh yeah. It was really difficult. That was, that was the hardest part was 
what was going to happen to my team because I started this business at 22 years old. So most of my team members were older than me and they had children and mortgages and a lot of responsibilities. And so I felt very responsible as I should, right? With this many people. And I had 16 loan officers and real estate agents, but that doesn't include the full-time staff that just worked in the office, right? So we also owned 13 pieces of real estate at that time, uh, investment property where I had tenants that were losing their jobs and not paying rent. So when I tell you everything that could happen in that season was happening and I was thinking more about the people, honestly, than my credit score. You know, I was chatting with people in the industry before I start cutting everyone off. (laughs) I was chatting with people in the industry and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to mess up my credit. And I'm like, you have employees, like you're worried about your credit. Like I get credit being a factor, but the credit can come back. Credit can bounce back. Like there's people who depend on you and That was the hardest part. So we ended up exhausting our savings. So I'll tell you, five weeks, another five weeks in the hospital, I give birth to my daughter at 30 weeks um, in two days. She's three pounds, two ounces, um, but completely healthy. She spends 22 days or so in the NICU. um, And when when we leave, oh my gosh, we used to call her chicken nugget. As a matter of fact, she had little (laughs) chicken wing legs, like skin and bones, just very, very tiny. Um, but she was healthy. And when she left the NICU and, and I finally, you know, left the hospital, you know, we left with almost $400,000 in medical debt. And my insurance had dropped me early in my hospital stay. And we didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. Can they do that? They can. And they did. But like, what, like what was, if you were the insurance company, what would you say? What was the reasoning? Um, I think I had exhausted some type of care because I had those back-to-back pregnancies and my first hospital stay was kind of a big one as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because with my first son, I talk about the fact that he almost, I mean, that he died after five hours, but I don't go into detail much about the fact that I could have potentially died. Like I was really sick, right? Yeah. Yeah, Which is, yeah. I mean, so there was a lot there. My partner's um, mom had it. It's atrocious. You, you, if you, if you survive it, it's a recovery. It's not, it's not easy. Yeah. And I, I don't, I still, to this day, I couldn't tell you, you know, at that time there was just so much going on. And I was, I had this brand new baby who I was like staying up all night to watch her chest rise and fall. When she came out of the hospital, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do <laughs> with this teeny? She was only five barely five pounds when they let her out the hospital. So, you know, there was just so much going on. So eventually um, we were burning through our savings, our cash reserves. I mean, between all the overhead, my office was in Manhattan Beach, California, for anyone from that area who knows. expensive, And it was expensive and we had all these people. And so we were laying, we were starting to lay folks off and um, you know, that and the spiral of like floating mortgage payments, like, okay, we're going to pay this one and then pay that one later or pay a partial payment and just all the things. Um, and eventually we, we got to the point where we were down to like our last $15,000 or something. And we were like, 
we there's nothing else. I mean, and I'm saying $15,000 when I could easily have about $80,000 a month in expenses. So, right. No, it's yeah. no money. <laughs> there's there's nothing left. Um I'm talking like putting and $3 this, of gas in a Range Rover. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and at th- and at this point did you pay the hospital bills or are those still looming over you? Too? Those are still looming. Yeah. I was focused on what was on my credit at that point. Like, yeah. uh, and just playing that game of trying to modify mortgages and being told that we were going to be the last people to have mortgages modified. Anyone in the real estate industry, because we were clearly, you know, not, um, I don't know, favorable clients at the time I all uh, everyone that I knew in that season who was trying to get their mortgages modified but you were in the mortgage industry they wouldn't you already had months you think of it like, would be different you think they'd be like I guess there's no I guess the personal the personal <laughs> pillar on this on this thing does not apply to mortgage <laughs> no it was it was a terrible time it was it was literally it was a terrible time. If that's saying, um, if you've ever heard Rob Peter to pay Paul, yeah. where you're just moving around all these Funny. things over and over again, it was it was awful. And it's I'm more exhausting. of a discipline. It was exhausting. And I'm more of a disciplined person. So it was very um it was hard to try to juggle because I'm like just I'm like a just fix it. <laughs> you know, that masculine. No, the juggling is, like, is- exhausting because the juggling forces you in every moment to like relive the trauma of what you're doing. It's like, you can't just be like, okay, I get it. This is awful. This is where I'm at right now. And let me accept it. And let me work from this. It's like, you have to keep doing that over and over and over and over. And And all while getting new letters about things that you, you know, it's like the everyday things to run your business. It's like, hey, your heirs and emission insurance is due and your this policy is due. And, you know, you're all these things that now feel like such a luxury because you're just trying to survive the day. So did you, it, it's interesting to talk about this and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's like, so for those five weeks that you shut it down, basically you made the choice. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to float everything. I'm just going to float it. I'm not going to fire people right now. I'm not going to deal with it. So that is very generous because I'm sure in the back of your head, you knew where this was all heading. I'm sure some I didn't. Oh, you didn't know how bad it was going to get. I didn't. Oh, no, no. It, was, it was still 2007. This was 2007. Right. So this was so like the was... latter part of 2007. And I still had hope. <laughs> So Right. It hadn't yet fully crashed. It hadn't fully crashed. Like we were feeling it, but they weren't talking about it, you know, to the same magnitude at that time. It was like, oh, countrywide closed down. I was like, oh, wow, that's a it's a big deal. But we were like, okay, we'll send it to New Century. Like we just kept moving it to the next bank who were like, oh, we'll take all the files. So and so couldn't do. So it was just this spiral of like, no, no, no. okay, we'll be fine. But actually. When I look back, this is one of the things that I've I've learned, right? Looking back, there was an older gentleman who was a mortgage broker in the office building that we had our office in. And I used to see him, you know, from time to time in the hallways or in the parking garage. And I remember about two months before I went to the hospital, I saw him with boxes and he had packed up his office. And I was like, where are you going? Cause I knew he was doing really well too. And I'm like, where are you going? Like, what's going on? And he's like, Oh, we're just going to work from home. Like, I don't know where this thing is going. And I was like, but at the time here I am booming. So I'm like, maybe he's just not doing well. Or they like, 
maybe their business is not doing the, in my naive mind, I was like, oh, sucks for Joe. But the truth is he would have been reading the signs and he was much older than me. He was probably 60 at that time. And I'm like 20, 26 at the time. And so he had been recognizing the signs. And when I look back, I I really could have stood there in that moment and maybe said, well, why do you, what's like, what do you think is going to happen? Or, right. But I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't even know to ask the question mm-hmm. in my young, um, you know, naivete. I just was like, oh, well, we're doing well. <laughs> you know, I'm like, sucks for Joe. And two months later, three months later, boom. So, so I would, think the signs were there all along. So what would your advice be for people then now, like in what you learned? To seek wisdom, mm. to always be open to seeking wisdom. And you may not know what, what you don't know, right? So we don't always know exactly what to ask, but I believe that life is always presenting signs and never to leave things just surface level, like dig deeper. If you just don't understand, sometimes we're just so rushed and hurried and always focused on the next thing, the next thing. But when you hear something that just piques your interest or just, hmm, well, what do you mean by that? Well, well, where is that coming from? Well, why do you feel that? Well, have you seen this before? I had never even heard the term recession. Oh, well, yeah, 26 years. Right. Now I know it very intimately. (laughs) At that point, I had never even, I didn't learn about that in business school at USC. We didn't really talk. I mean, yeah, in 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 economics, there's like a mention of I had no idea what that meant in the real world, a real life applicable. So interesting. You know, situation. And how do you feel like now going through this in COVID? How do you think? And I know your business is very different now than what it was. Um, just in, in, in its essence, but Mm -hmm. so successful. How do you feel like that changed how you approach this time around as a businesswoman? Oh my gosh. There, there have been so many things. Um, first of all, I think looking back that we grew much too fast, too soon. I think that, you know, as a business owner, growth is wonderful. Expansion is wonderful, but you also have to really be conscious of, of, what your capacity is. Mm. And so we had so many people. And to be honest, half of them were dead weight. I didn't need them. So at the time I didn't, I wanted, it was more the focus on bigger and better, like the perception, right. Versus let's go with the 20% of people who are actually producers, because if I had to float them, I could have done that much longer. And I could have like, there's, you know, like there's a lot of things that would have changed the dynamics at that time in terms of how much we were spending, how much we were putting out. Um, And even with the properties, just because you can be approved for it, that doesn't mean you can afford it. That was a great lesson. Um, Yeah, I I got approved for millions and millions of dollars worth of mortgages. But if something happens, are you in position to actually float that? Like, do you actually have the capacity as a business owner too, personally and professionally to make sure that you can cover all of these things for six months or 12 months or whatever, if absolutely nothing comes in. And that's very different than where we are now. We've grown considerably. Yes. Um, And I mean, obviously it's an online business now. Back then I had a brick and brick and mortar business, but I still see, (laughs) I still see how people, um, just add so many things for the look of it, for the show uh, in social media. Now we have social media. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. We'll, we'll have we a conversation social. about that too. 
<laughs> can only imagine if we had social media back then. But now I see so many people doing things in their businesses because they're pretty, but they're not profitable. So they're doing things for the big show and like, look at this launch and look at this and look at that. They've spent $30,000 on a launch to make $10,000. That I makes think no that's sense. such great advice for like a, anyone who's like, who really wants to be an entrepreneur, but even in the small sense, like I know people in this realm who might even be like slimming down and wanting to become like a healer or something. That's still a business and you still have to be your own business. And I think it's so important of, it's not about the size. It's, it's, and I think the growth too, I feel like the growth can be yes, physical growth, but also your own, like take on what works for you, take on what you think you can do well. Yeah. Well, this is the essence of redefining wealth, right? Because at yes. that time I defined wealth as money and material possessions. So I'm 26 years old. I start this business at 22. In four years, I have about 20 team members. I have 13 pieces of real estate and, you know, all like all the things going on because my definition was money and material possessions. Now, what I didn't say and haven't said yet is how stressed I was mm -hmm. and how tense my relationship with my now husband. He was my my boyfriend back then when we started the business. But our relationship was like so volatile. And there were just so many things. I didn't make time for my girlfriends. I, I circled back in my 30s to make really great or, or to, to improve the relationships with my girlfriends that all these things had gone away because I was so focused on building this empire, right? And now when I look at what matters most to me, I live my life by the pillars. So yes, I do have a successful business, but I'm not run by that business. Huge. That statement right there is huge. You to know, not be run by your own business, I think is key. Yeah. And hard. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a daily decision because it's not that, you know, plenty of opportunities don't come and there's all the things right. That can be thrown at you. My mantra is chase purpose, not money. If it doesn't feel 1000% in alignment with what I feel purpose to do, it's just a no. And I've turned down opportunities that were multiple five figure, six figure opportunities because they didn't feel in alignment but I have the most peace in this season of my life than I ever did then. And that even though people, you know, because of social media and, and you know, I've done all the press and the, I've done all the things. Right. So even though that seems more visible and people are like, oh, my gosh, I know that you're always doing da 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 da. I'm like, actually, I'm home <laughs> most of the time. Like actually I spend a lot of time in my prayer room by myself, or I spend a lot of time at the kitchen counter watching TikToks with my daughter because that's what she's into right now, or going for a walk or to the gym with my husband. Like that is the majority of my life. I do work, but work is, I don't run my life based on work first. So I want to talk about something I feel like people do not take enough advantage of, our certifications. A lot of people don't realize we have as many certifications as we do. Here's a beauty. You can now do it no matter where you live in the world or what your time zone is. There is something for you. And again, certifications are a brilliant way if you're looking to change your career, if you're interested in something you just want to know more, or frankly, if you kind of are craving to go on a deeper journey with yourself. Certifications are a brilliant way to do that. And we cover everything from Reiki's all the way up to master level. 
intuitive healing trainings if you're really looking to hone that psychic ability or become an energetic healer. Um, teacher training, which is an intense, incredible program for self-exploration, or if you want to become a teacher. Animal communications, breath work, the list goes on, and we're always adding new courses and ways to expand what you know and what you want to learn. So go to denanywhere.com, check out certifications and courses, and join us. I mean, I love Chase Purpose, not the money, because I think that is huge. You know, you said in the book, too, you talk about, you know, that you you realize, and I it's funny, it was very enlightening for me, too, and I'm sure for a lot of people, that the commitments you made for work, you realize how strong you were to the commitments you made for work, mm-hmm. like how on time you'd be for every single meeting for work. Um, how you'd get everything done that you promised, how you'd always make room and time. But then it was like in your personal life, those things would slip. So whether mm. it be, you know, for your daughter, you kind of said like kind of that one last thing, like for your daughter, uh, she yes. might be, you might be late picking her up for school sometimes because you get that one last thing done. One or, last email, please. Just let me send one last email. Yeah, because that'll Correct. Be one last blog post. Yeah. Yes. Or, or I even liked what you said is you found yourself always a few minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes late for personal things, but you were never late for a work meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is really interesting. What you realize is we all have the potential to choose. Like you said, it's choice in the beginning of the show. Um, We all have the power to choose um, where you want to put that you know, care and dedication to. Mm. And so it's interesting. So that is probably a huge difference from, you know, that first business to this business now, it sounds oh, like. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because my definition of wealth is different. So when I had my uh, bathroom floor moment, as many people who know me <laughs> know of it. Because it's amazing. And that <laughs> proverb is incredible. Yeah. Please like expand on that. So for people who are like, well, what happened after the hospital and the, the medical bills and all the things? Well, eventually um, we sold everything we could on Craigslist because our home foreclosed. And we went from a 6,000 square foot house in Southern California to living in a 600 square foot apartment in Metairie, Louisiana. Why Louisiana? That was my question. Yeah. From there? Is your husband? No, we bought property. So some of the investment property that we owned was actually in New Orleans. We had purchased property after Hurricane Katrina and some we had rehabbed. Others had just sat. And so we went to, um, put the last of the little money that we had. We were like, if we just fix these couple things, we can sell that property. There's a lot of equity in it. And that should be able to float us like, cool, maybe $200,000 worth of equity in this building. Well, we get there uh, thinking, okay, we can probably live in one of the units. The contractor said it's almost done. Um, And we get there and the pictures they have been sending us were not our property. They were stealing our money. What was the contractor? The contractor had been stealing our money. Our home had not been rehabbed at all. We hadn't seen it in like over a year or two. So when we found this contractor through a friend and yeah, suppose a friend. My heart, it's just because I think we've all been there. It just made me realize that's so sad how little you can trust. It's Mm. so frustrating. So here we are in Metairie. I've trusted people to do things from afar and that just made me so (laughs) nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are, Metairie, Louisiana, with a baby. Our daughter wasn't one yet, maybe eight months old or so. Um, 
with nowhere to go. So we end up finding this little apartment, teeny tiny apartment, 600 square feet apartment um, and not the best area, not the best neighborhood in that particular town. But that that was where, you know, I'm I'm really I've always been the one who could encourage everyone else. So it's like, oh, we'll be fine. And, you know, very hopeful. I just have a, a hopeful spirit. I, I was raised in the church. So I just, you know, I'm just hopeful, right? Oh, it's going to all work out. All things come together for our good, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, this was one of those moments, though, where my faith had run out for that moment. And I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had just chased the power man down the little walkway of our apartment um, because they came to turn our power off uh, for obviously for non-payment. And I ran out there with Reagan on my hip and I was like, sir, if you don't turn the power on my baby's milk is going to spoil. And that was one of like my lowest moments. Like I'm outside. My daughter didn't even have clothes on. She's got like a diaper on, you know, and I'm outside running barefoot asking this man to, to please give me another day or two so I can find the money somehow, somewhere to pay this power bill or my daughter's milk is going to spoil. And I remember Gerald took Reagan. Um, he used to just take her for a like, walk around, took the stroller, took her. And I was in the mirror in the bathroom and I was like, okay, God, why me? Like, this, I've, I've been a good person. I operate in integrity. I treat people well. I've tried to do everything right. Like, I don't understand. Like, how, why am I here? I went to USC and I'm begging somebody to turn power on, you know, I got good grades and I can't like all the things, right? Because I was not raised to believe that all these bad things could happen back to back to good people. Like I just had never even considered. Um, the a reminder to everyone, she's only like a year plus out of losing your son. You're losing my son. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. It was, it was just one traumatic thing, you know, after another. And, um, I was crying in the bathroom and then that turned into, uh, you know, bawling and sobbing. And then it just turned into that ugly cry where you don't even recognize yourself anymore. <laughs> You're like, who is this lady? I was in that ugly cry in fetal position on the bathroom floor. And I felt that nudge, um, that still small voice is what I refer to it as. This said, get your Bible. And I found this scripture. And I really don't think I just found the scripture. To this day, I wish I had a better way for really expressing how I landed on it. Because it's kind of open up to it. I just kind of opened up. I just opened. I scanned the page and my eyes just hit it. And I used to read Proverbs all the time. So I know I had read it before. But for whatever reason, it meant nothing in the way that it meant, you know, what it meant in that moment. And it was what good is money? It was Proverbs 17, 16. What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And for some reason. When I read that in the book, I just wrote, whoa, because <laughs> I was like, that is crazy. That was the first time, like, that was the very, it stopped me. It's It, it made me like... <laughs> you know, finish the tears and go, what? What does that mean? What is like, what? What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And the thing is, being a fool is not even about, it's not about being dumb. It's about being kind of like reckless and not really having a plan, you know, not, not really having, um, 
a strategy, you know, even if you will, like there, there's so many proverbs that I love that just talk about, um, you know, those who work, walk with the wise will become more wise and those who walk with fools will suffer great harm, you know? And there was just so many, there were so many things popping out at that time. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. But I'm wise. And so my next thought though is like, but I'm wise because I thought I was smart. I was, gonna ask, no, I was actually going to ask you that question. Like, where were you in the journey that you could be okay hearing that comment about wisdom? No, I was not okay. I was really, I was offended. I think yes. the first mom, I was like, is somebody trying to tell me that I'm just dumb or like, what does this actually mean? And then I'm like, well, I'm wise. I know I'm wise. And then I'm like, well, let me look up the definition. Good for you, by the way. Because I would say a lot of people would get stuck with like, I had a company at this age and blah, blah, blah. How can you tell me I'm not wise? And I start looking, I looked up the definition of wisdom and I looked up, you know, like, okay, wait a minute. Well, knowledge and wisdom is what we confuse. I had a lot of knowledge. I know a lot of stuff. I read a lot of books, right? You know, got the certifications, got the degree. So I'm very good with information and test taking and those things. That's knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Do you know when, where, and how to use what you know? Mm. Many people know things. They know things. You, We all have friends that are full of useless facts that they'll never apply to anything. Okay. You may have book smarts. You may have knowledge. You don't necessarily have wisdom. And that was like a big aha for me. And I remember like writing down, like I'm writing like notes and all this stuff. And I was like, I need to seek wisdom. Like I want to have, like, I want to be wise. I don't want to just know stuff. I want to be wise. I want to know how, because I knew a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the big thing is I knew a lot of people who could have helped me, but I suffered in silence. Most people at that time had no idea what happened to Gerald and I, my husband. I was going to ask you, like, where, you just, they didn't realize you disappeared or everyone was in their own stuff and like. I think so many people were in their own stuff, but we literally fled. Like we sold everything on Craigslist in a weekend, got the cash we could, and we were gone. So when we would talk to people, we're like, oh yeah, we moved to New Orleans. People knew that we had property, the property there and stuff. So we just kind of made it about that. And we were just done. And I think about when I look back, how many people I actually had access to, like their numbers in my phone or their email addresses, right? That I could have been like, hey, here's here's where we are. This is what's going on. I don't know if you know anything about this or even with the mortgage modifications or just the different things that we kept running into walls with. We also just ran into the walls holding hands like my husband right. and I we didn't ask anybody so that was unwise but I grew up in a culture of not asking for help I grew up in a culture I'm Belizean uh, American and I just grew up in a culture of like figure it out so I was raised to figure it out so back to your very early question about me being a kid I'm like I got on the bus to file my mom's tax I was gonna go to H&R Block I looked it, it up out. in the phone book like we didn't even have Google back then. Right. So like, isn't it funny? I think about that all the time, all the shit I used to figure out <laughs> that like nobody realized, I mean, now we're the old people like you have no clue. We walked three miles in the snow, but like, it's so true. It's like you never had to pull out like a book or go look for a reference or look through yellow pages or like, I mean, all the things we use for reference and then piece together and the people you'd have to talk to to figure shit out, to figure it out. I was so used to like, oh, you figure it out. So 
that was, that was another kind of revelation for me. I committed myself to, to like, just asking for help. So is that the first thing? So when you finally like read this, you get some definitions and you're like, okay, I need to seek wisdom. What did that mean for you? Ask for help. So that was the first thing it meant for you is like, mm-hmm. I need to start asking. So who, who or what, like, what was your first reach out for help? Oh, girl, I was just talking to anybody. I remember I would meet people in Starbucks and just be like, what do you do? That's a, a matter of fact, perfect example. So maybe a week or two after this bathroom floor experience, and not only did I look up wisdom and knowledge, I want to be clear too, I also looked up wealth, like what the actual definition of wealth was. And that's how I found out that wealth was not just money and material possessions. Mm. So all of that was really a part of my like rebuilding, if you will, was looking at like, what can I do that's not, yeah, redefine wealth for yourself. What can I do that's not just focus on money all day? Because there's nothing that I can do to change my credit from day to day, you know, in that moment. Like, it is what it is. My credit had tanked all the things, right? So that that also helped. But I'll fast forward. I was uh, in a Starbucks going to get water because I definitely didn't have coffee money. Um, But I was in a Starbucks waiting for some water and I turned and there was this table full of women and they had their babies like strollers and stuff next to them. And I thought, oh, it's a mommy group. And so I'm, I don't know anyone here. I have no friends or family in New Orleans. And I'm thinking, oh, it's like a mommy group of some kind. So a woman happens to come up to ask the barista for something. And I was like, hey, are you guys like a mommy meet up, you know, I have a baby, all this stuff. And she's like, oh, um, well, kind of, but we're, we're mommy bloggers. And I was like, well, what is that? I had never heard the term blog or bloggers in my life. I owned a brick and mortar business. That was it. We had a website for, you know, because we should, but not because we played on the internet. So I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what that is. And so she explained to me what a blog was and how they talked about, you know, what it was like raising their kids and all this stuff. And as interesting as it was, it also wasn't because, you know, I was like, I don't really want to talk about no baby. Like, I don't see myself as a mommy blogger at all. But when I got up off that bathroom floor, one of the things I thought about was like, man, I wonder how many people don't know, like, how good Proverbs is and like all the wisdom, like all the things you can get out of here. And the next day I was like, I could do one of those blogs. It won't be about Reagan, but I can do something about like money lessons or something. I started a free blog spot. It's up to this day. It's ugly as hell, but it was the thing that got me started. 2009. That was 2009. I started a free blog spot. Seek wisdom, find wealth, Mm. uh, blogspot.com.blogspot.com. Super ugly, had no idea how to use it, but I was like, I'm going to put a proverb up and then I'm going to like, just write about my thoughts around that proverb. And I started with Proverbs 17, 16. That was the start. Hey guys, so we're wrapping up the season today. Uh, Don't worry, we're going to be re-releasing some oldies but goodies throughout the summer and we will be back in the fall. In the meantime, do a few things. Make sure you're taking class with us on denanywhere.com. Also, throughout the entire summer, we have so many certifications and courses. So if you want to deepen your practice or get to learn something, don't forget to constantly check out denanywhere.com to make sure you know what's going on and retreats as well. 
Um, but go to our Facebook page and sign up for Den Talks podcast. Let us know who, what episodes do you love the most? Who do you want us to talk to? Do you have ideas or subject areas you want us to dive into? We want to cater this and make sure we're giving you guys what you want as well. We love having the conversations. We learn from these as well, but how can we be serving you better? So take some time this summer, join our podcast community on Facebook, and let's really get in there together so that we can make this next season exactly what you need. You're such, I mean, I get chills listening to you speak because you are such a prime example of, you know, when you want to shake someone sometimes and be like, it doesn't matter how bad it is. You can Mm. shift things. You can, and I feel like you're such, I mean, your story is so beautiful. I mean, you're physically beautiful. You're beautiful. What you do Mm. beautiful. Your influence is beautiful. And it's such an incredible influence to be able to tell someone, no, look, like, First of all, I came from a hard spot and I made everything. And then I lost everything and got super low. Are you you not only money? I mean, you lost family, you lost life. I mean, that some of that stuff breaks people forever. I mean, yeah. you you were given things that individually could break someone and you got it yeah. all and you found a way still to be like, okay, so it didn't work this way. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to redefine. I mean, I love that redefine as part of your title. It's like I'm going to redefine it. And it's not even just like what I think is so important, what I think is so important about this book and you, it's not just redefine yourself. And a lot of these, I feel like, especially in the finance world, will be all very surfacey of how you can redefine yourself, like how you can. And there's some of that in there, too, of like, put it out there. It will follow, of course. But yours goes deeper than that. It, again, it's about how do you actually change the definitions in your head? How do you actually shift mm-hmm. the vibration in yourself? How do you actually change what it is you're aiming for? How do you get to know yourself better so you know the foundation you're working on in the first place? Which is what I love about it. You know, that proverb basically was get wisdom and your book is teaching people how to get wisdom mm-hmm. from themselves because that's yeah. where the wisdom comes. And it's it really is so amazing. I mean- you then became a blogger. You were like running a company with X amount of people, like a lot of people <laughs> in real estate. Yeah. And now you're blogging really in some ways about your faith. Yeah. Yeah. Faith and money was, it was definitely an intersection of faith, money, and business. And it's funny, I was blogging like and didn't even know what blind copying emails meant. Like I was just sending everybody in my email list, like all these people like, hey, I started this blog and just sending it. And, you know, first couple of weeks, people were like, oh, it's so nice, you know, and then people were like, hey, can you not email me with everyone on this? Like, <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't. Oh, BCC. Okay, got it. Right. And like, it was just funny. It was the learning process. Like every week, as I was just like committed to every week, I'm just going to unpack a, a proverb, right? And then several weeks went by. I have been doing it for a couple months. And I asked my husband, like, had he read? And he was like, or I wanted to talk about it. I thought it was so good. And he was like, um, yeah, I haven't gotten around to it the last few. I'm like, what's the last few? It was like basically all of them, <laughs> you know? And then I asked my mom and she read it and she was like, oh, you know, I was busy at work and all these things. And I was, I felt very defeated that day. I felt like, okay, if the two people closest to me are not reading it, why should I do this? Like, I'm right. I'm, I I need to stop. I need to make a LinkedIn page and be a real adult, like, and try to get a job out here or something. And um, a couple weeks went by, 
like uh, like a couple weeks went by and I just stopped. I didn't send anyone anything. I didn't write anything. And a man reached out to me out of the blue. To this day, I call him an angel and I pray I find this email one day. And he sends me an email. He's like, hey, I hope you're well. I was reading your blog and you haven't posted in a while. Mm. And I was like, who is this stranger? And this was a stranger out of your network. It so was a stranger. Never. N- you started no. to realize it was connecting beyond who you were asking to help. It was, you were connecting beyond. Yeah. And my family wasn't my audience. There yeah. were other people who needed like what I was sharing, who wanted what I was sharing. And it prompted me to go deeper because again, I only learned of the blog because of the ladies in the, in Starbucks. I didn't understand analytics and like really going deeply into the back end. I never really left the menu beyond like post. <laughs> so I started going deeper and I was like, oh, this one had 81 views. And this one had 102 views. And this one had 50 views. I'm like, these are probably, I was only sending it to like 20 25 people. So I'm like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. And that was one of the days that I committed. I was like, you know what? Even if it's just for this guy who I don't know, <laughs> I sent him a message and thanked him. But I was like, even if it's just for this guy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to this. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna keep showing up. Audience of one is still an audience. And that led to me writing for other other websites. Eventually, several months later, I started to write for bigger websites like Black Enterprise and a site called Hello Beautiful back then, which was owned by Radio One and TV One at the time. Um, and, you know, and that turned into writing for magazines. And I mean, by 20, that was 2009 that I started the blog. By 2011, I was writing for magazines. Um, and then by 20. 13, I was doing a lot of radio. In 2014, I ended up the money maven of the Steve Harvey Morning Show for four years. I mean, that's crazy. So like when you were doing the blog, you were still making no money, obviously. And so then, but how quickly within two years, if you're writing for magazines, you're now getting paid to do what you want to do. Yeah. When I started writing for the websites, I was getting paid. I was getting paid like 50 and 75 bucks an article. Yeah. That's money coming in. Yeah. And it's sure. also affirmation of like, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. It's- I call them God winks. God winks. And by the way, you get a lot of God winks. You do. <laughs> and I love like one of your pillars is faith. You know, I know we didn't go through yeah. all of it, but she talks about like taking care of yourself and also how you can network and use people, but like in a genuine way mm-hmm. um, and keeping your relationships up and also managing your space, which we talked a little bit about, but faith- I loved for a few reasons because a, I think it's what you're talking about now. You had faith in yourself and you had faith in what you were doing. The audience of one was enough faith for you to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, But you talk really about like, you got to believe in something. And what I appreciate about you, which is like when I started the den, it was the same idea. It wasn't you trying to push your faith on anyone. It's like, this is my faith and it works brilliantly for me. And I'm sure if anyone Mm -hmm. wanted to talk to you about it, you would absolutely Mm -hmm. share, but it was more like, you need to find something for you or faith that is going to be like what this is for me. It's where I can seek my wisdom. And I really thought that was so beautiful of knowing that faith comes in different, you know, costumes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I say that all the time from the stage, like I'm not here to force what I believe, you know, on anyone, but I do believe you need to have something that grounds you because life is coming. It's not a matter of if it's just when, and to try to figure out 
how you move through resistance when you're in the middle of the storm is very difficult, right? To ch- like, okay, well, maybe I should pray or chance or maybe, right? It's like all these maybes. It's like, maybe you should have a practice in place so that when that thing comes, you are prepared to handle it with grace mm-hmm. and with ease. Because I think that most faiths will teach us that none of these things are happening to us. They're happening for us because we're only here in these bodies, in this experience to like grow and learn the lessons and freaking move on. So, you know, I really don't care what you say you believe, but I do think that if you say you believe something, you should make time to practice it regularly and make it a part of your life. And, you know, I, I identify as a Christian, right? I tell people all the time, I don't care that you go to church on Sunday. That's not actually practicing anything. It's how do you live your life? Mm-hmm. Like anyone can get up and put on clothes and drive to someplace, sit there and leave. But are you actually leaving different? Are you actually leaving with something you're going to incorporate? Like if I went to church on Sunday, this past Sunday, we went to church. I took notes and on Monday I was like, what can I, what can I add? Like based on what I learned, right. Or what I read for myself. And, you know, I think that's the thing. I, I have a good friend who's Muslim, right. And I talk about this in the book. She was, you know, I went, I, I was speaking somewhere and we were hanging out and we did what all good girlfriends who have known each other for 20 years do. We start going, whatever happened to so-and-so, right? <laughs> and she's like talking about her ex-boyfriend. And so we pull him up on Facebook. We're like, oh, let's go see. Like, what is he, you know? And um, she started to say things that were just out of pocket about his wife who was pregnant. Now, as someone who's had difficult pregnancies, I'm very sensitive to that. I don't think any woman deserves to go through these things, you know? Um, And I go, well, friend, that's not like what I didn't, I couldn't even enjoy my wine anymore. I was like, wait a minute, you're that's too far. And I don't know her to be that type of person. And she's going on and on. And I'm like, well, you guys broke up like seven years ago. It's not like a fresh breakup. He's been married for like six years. So And so we're having this conversation. I said, well, what does your faith teach you about forgiveness? And she's like, I mean, I mean, you know, she didn't really have an answer. And I'm like, you say that you're Muslim, but you don't really practice. Like you don't like you don't read your Quran. You don't you don't pray. You don't do any of the things. And now it's like it's causing you to have this bitterness that's stopping you from actually having the love that you want or to do the things that you want to do. Like, do you see how this is all connected and turn into this whole thing? She wasn't too pleased with me in the moment, but later on, you guys um, are good. we're good. We're back. Okay, good. Okay. We're, we're, we're still <laughs> friends. Right. But I, it's, it's what I would say to anyone, right. What does your faith tell you about how you should move through this circumstance? Because it definitely can't be that you sit in it and, and not, ask for the the divine guidance or the lesson or the blessing and just take it and move on. And again, it goes back to what I've been saying about you is you know how to move through. So it's the, you know, you're saying right there, what does your faith teach you on how to move through this situation, this thing? Because versus what a lot of people do is they sit in it, like you said, waiting for the situation to change, waiting for it to move. And we know that's not what's going to happen. It's about how are you going to navigate it? But that's what you're so great at. And you have been since you were a kid is is not waiting for the situation to like come down on you. It's like you navigate through it, even when Mm -hmm. it is coming down on you. But the faith, I think you're so right. And I think it's like, you have to believe in something and you have to practice the lessons. And again, it doesn't even have to be really, if it's whatever it is, like whatever it is for you, 
yeah. And it's, and there's different ways, but I agree. It's the practice. Um, and how do you put it into a daily practice of every day? But you've had, like you say, the God wings. I mean, even you talk about in the book, that woman who, that you gave a ride home from church. <sighs> yes. I was like, what an angel. Did you ever, I mean, tell the story because obviously you tell oh. me it's better, but did you yeah. ever see her again in your life? I've like, never seen her again in my life. And did you I, ever see her in that congregation before? No, had never seen her before that day and never saw her after. And I was a regular yeah. attendee of this that particular service. So another one of my angels was the time that I, I had lost my son, as you guys know now. And a couple months later, I was at a Wednesday night Bible study and I heard a woman uh, like a row or two behind me as, as they were closing out and stuff and people were leaving asking for a ride. And I just, you know, happened to turn around and hear and people were like, uh, no, right. Stranger danger. People were giving her the like, no, like, what, you know, because it wasn't a small church. It was like a mega church. So, okay. so it was, you know, pretty sizable audience here. And something in me just tugged like to give her a ride home. And I was like, um, well, well, where is it? I, I can take you. Now I lived down the street from the church. So if anyone should say, no, I'm not going, it would be me. But I said, oh, okay, I can take you. So we get in my truck and we're, we're driving home and we're having this conversation. And how old is she? Like paint the picture. What does um, she look like? So at the time, as you guys know, I'm about 25. She was probably about 40. Okay. I would say maybe 40, 40 ish. And, um, so, you know, we're, we're driving down and we're, we are having this conversation and we're just talking and, um, she, we, I don't even remember how the, how we really got to it, but I, I start to tell her about losing my son and she says, and I told her to the hospital, it was Daniel Freeman hospital in Inglewood, California. And she says, oh my gosh, are you the girl I prayed for? And I'm like, the girl I, you pray for. Now, what I did remember about the night that my son passed is that my friend, my good girlfriend took me to the hospital and it was the worst. Th that hospital has since closed down and they should have for good reason. But they they treated me very poorly. They left me waiting, even though I was a pregnant woman in the waiting room. And I was doubled over in so much pain that I couldn't, I never looked up. I never made eye contact with anyone. I came in doubled over, sat there doubled over and walked back when they finally called me doubled over. All I could see was the blood on the floor because the man that they called before me was bleeding in the emergency room and they called him and he said, take her, she's pregnant. And before they called him, a woman came and laid her hand on my back and just started praying for me. And then they called the man and I went, I went, right. I went back and, and, you know, that, that was that part of the story. So when I say to her that I lost my son recently and that I was at Daniel Freeman and, and that type of stuff. And I just, you know, was just sharing my heart about how it applied to the message that we heard that night. She was like, are you the girl I prayed for? She's like, I, I prayed for you. And then she described my friend the friend that was with me at the hospital. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, that was me. She said she was there with her son who had fallen or something and they were in the emergency room and she remembers just praying for me because I looked like I was in so much pain. And, and all of this is really weird because 
you know, I looked very young for 25, but when I would come from work, I always tried to dress up to look older, right? Mm -hmm. So what she saw of me in the hospital, she would have never made the connection and neither would I of what I looked like that night at church. It, Mm -hmm. it, It doesn't seem like it would be the same person at all. So this whole conversation is already spooky. Well, before she gets out the car, we get to the destination. Before she gets out the car, she says, I really have it on my heart to share this scripture with you. And she gives me the scripture. And when I get home, I read the scripture and it's the words to a song that I had been playing over and over and over and over again that I didn't know was based on a scripture. I just thought it was a really nice praise and worship song. So I had been playing this song personally over and I didn't play it in the car, which it was on in my car all the time. But when she got out and I looked up the scripture, it was, it was the song. And when I looked back, when she got out, I couldn't even tell you where she walked to. She got out the car. She said, thank you. And I was like, thank you. You know, oh my gosh, well, thank you so much. She gets out the car. By the time I looked down and looked back up, I don't know where she went. Didn't she also tell you you were going to have another baby? Did she tell me that? Um, no, I don't, does she tell me that? I thought I don't you think said she so. also said you're going to have another baby. Not, I don't think it was like in a prophetic sense. It was, I think it was more like a, um, like you'll be okay. Like, you know, not like you yeah. definitely will, but I've had, I had people that prophesied to me about my daughter before I conceived my daughter. Well, you also had the dream, which I found again, and part of this goes under the faith because it's when you have faith in whatever it is you believe, you start to get these God winks. You start to understand the signs and you start to allow the signs to help guide you. To guide. So you were been saying that like when you had dreams with your son, right? Before the hospital, um, probably six weeks before he passed, I kept having a recurring dream that I didn't have a little boy, that I had a little girl. And in the dream, I would be walking around with the little girl and with my husband and people would keep saying, oh my gosh, she looks just like her father. And I would wake up and go, oh, I guess we're going to have a girl one day, but I don't know why I keep dreaming about a girl when I know I'm pregnant with a boy. So I knew I was having a boy already. So um, I really think that that was my spirit preparing me, you know, in two ways. One, to accept that my son was not going to be in my life in a physical form like that. And then second, letting me know that I still would have a child. And in the dreams, I always only had this little girl and she looked just like her dad. And that is my daughter. She's starting to morph. She's starting to morph into me a bit. She's starting to look like a great blend of the two of us. But when she was a baby, um, everyone called her Geraldine because she looked so much like my husband. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. I mean, your stories are amazing and you are, I mean, there's so much more. I literally like, I don't even think I began to ask you a million questions (laughs) I wanted to ask you because, but I will say, and I've already kept you for so long. You guys should really read the book. It's redefine wealth for yourself. Again, you go into so many like areas that I'm like, yes, I say this all the time. Just again, not comparing yourself to others, kind of staying Mm -hmm. in your own lane, not worrying what people think. Um, really, I, again, the vibrational thing, I think is so important, like living in what you believe, like head towards the direction you want to go. Yeah. Use the mantra to bring yourself there. Say what it is, change. There's a really important chapter I think about, and I would love, maybe I can have you back on for it. Cause I think it's really important of 
taking kind of the patterns that you were raised with that you might not even realize. I think a lot of us don't realize how much of how money was spent, taken care of yes, and talked about, even if like your family was okay. Like it was funny. I hadn't gotten to the part yet. And I'm like, yep, for us, it was money doesn't grow on trees. And then you mm-hmm. actually use that as an example. And I started mm-hmm. laughing um, how that really does affect how you, what your relationship is with money. And I think that we should, we should have a whole episode on that because I think that alone. We totally and, could. Financial yeah. blueprints, just how to, how to reshape your financial blueprint because it, I mean the best thing about childhood is that it's over right like we don't have to still live in in those spaces but we do need to do the work to recognize what is not supportive of what we say we want because until we recognize it we can't recondition it so you can say what you want over and over and over again but if the beliefs that you have you know your subconscious are rooted in things that just don't connect to what you say you want you you know it'll forever elude you and i think we just have to bring more awareness to it yeah you have a sentence in there that is you get what you believe not what you want and i was like oh shit yeah steve <laughs> harvey taught me that it's scary um because a lot of times you don't know what you believe mm-hmm. and i think that's the trick to it which is why i feel like we could do a whole episode on it is dismantling what your belief system is that you might not even be aware is there. Mm-hmm. It gets in the way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and I, I have, you know, I, I do a lot of business coaching with women in particular and you will have a full conversation with someone and they will not hear. I'm like, and I keep asking the same question over and over again <laughs> and people will go, Oh, I'm like, cause you didn't even know what you were saying. You're just talking and you, you know what I mean? It's like, do you hear what you're saying? You're looking to me for some type of validation. And this is, this has nothing to do with what I'm teaching you. You're, you're still living in a story that your father created with you in 1989, like, wow. and, and acting confused. You're not confused. You're just living in an old story. You know exactly what to do to get that result. And that's, that's the whole premise of redefining wealth anyway is that money is the byproduct is that most people are like you know I don't have any money because I don't know how to budget budgeting is writing on one side of a piece of paper what comes in and what goes out yeah and like making some decisions right do you not know how to budget or do you have some beliefs about money that keep you giving to people you know that you should actually say no to because your boundaries are out of whack or are like, there's so many other things we can imp- unpack. It's not what budgeting app do I use? We're, we're not asking deep enough questions. And that's what I love about your book. It, it goes to the depth of figuring out yourself and like how you're getting in your own way and how you can be your best. You are your best proponent. You are your best cheerleader. You are, you are your future. So it's, yeah. um, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed talking to you. You were such a bright light. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so good. It didn't feel like an interview. It just felt like two girlfriends chatting. This is how I I talk to my friends. No, I really enjoyed it. I think you're, you're really special and really great. And you've, you know, you say something in the book too, which is, and I'm going to butcher it. So feel free to correct me, but something to the effect of like, those who make an impact in their area will get the wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically it's saying like, yes, there are people who take that risk and are willing to be impactful in their space, whatever that space is. And 
they deserve wealth because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I always say I deserve, I deserve to be wealthy because of the value I add to others. And you do. Like I, and, and that was one of those things that I had to reprogram because I didn't grow up seeing wealth as a positive thing. I grew up thinking that, you know, rich people must take advantage of everyone and the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And, uh, you know, uh, money is the root of all evil. I grew up with all of those things playing in the background. And then I had to recondition, recognize that that doesn't have to be my story. And first of all, who who did my family really know that was so rich getting richer and like stepping on everyone? It was like this 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 thing that was just passed on um, from generation to generation or person to person. And I got to choose like, no, that's not true. I'm actually very generous. I'm a giving person. And when I can say no to people who want to take advantage of me so that I can say yes to people I genuinely want to support who I know will benefit um, from from that support that's that's powerful but i have to be able to pay my own light bill in order to do that so there you go right so now it's going to make me so now <laughs> it's going to make me more uh intentional and deliberate about my choices because i don't i don't have that same story running in the background no i deserve to be wealthy so when people send me messages like why is your you know um i wanted to take your speaker training program but um, it's too expensive based on what, like based, based on what too expensive because you don't understand the power of what you'll learn and what you can go create. You're not asking the right questions. The right question would have been, can you extend the payment plan for me (laughs) or what, what can I do? Because I really want to be in that class, which are the types of things I've done for people who reach out and say, I know this is going to change my life because I know they're going to be the person who comes into the program and takes it seriously. And they're going to go and change their life. See, that's that's the type of person that I want to, I want to support. But if you're in your limited thinking, if you're going, oh my gosh, that's too much based on what I know, I, I know what it can create because I know what I've created using this framework, right? Using this blueprint. If, if I could teach you something that was going to help you create a hundred thousand dollars, why would $2,000 be too much? Right. You're asking the wrong questions, you it's know? An investment. Yeah. And, and so that's just even for us, you know, how I move through life now. So it's not about what looks good to other people because I don't define wealth by impressing you on Instagram. <laughs> you know, I define wealth by what is going to bring me peace and make my life easier and actually allow me to spend more time with the people that matter the most to me, right? And doing the things that, light me up and make me excited and give me joy like these like this interview right this was a wonderful use of of time on a Tuesday right but there's other things that are like no you know just just no but I have to charge what I need to charge in the spaces that I operate within so that I don't have to miss an opportunity like this because I have to go chase money and do something that I think is quote-unquote going to make me money it's so huge. You basically, you literally are the boss of your own domain. It's like you choose how you want to live. And again, it's not chasing anything because you can create it where it needs to be created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Awesome. You're amazing. I'm so sad people can't see you because your smile is so awesome. It's like, uh, thank you. you. I'll just be like, okay, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. We'll have to talk about that on another episode because, you know, that's in the book, too, and Fit Pillar, how I grew up not feeling uh, like the, I know, the pretty I know. one. I had it 
there to talk about too, because I love that yeah. your husband, but we will do it. We're going to do another episode because we, we, have, have, to. To. we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dead Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks Podcast, and join us there.